I'm Kristen Kelly, and this is Mom School. Hey guys, we have a special Father's Day episode of Mom School today, and I am obsessed with this story. I have been talking about this story to anybody who will listen to me for the last two weeks. So I came across Scott Stewart when I saw a video of him and his six-year-old son, Colin, I think it was on Instagram, and his son is precious. Now, Colin loves Elsa. If you don't know who Elsa is, that's a different conversation. But Princess Elsa is from Frozen, and Colin, since he was three years old, since he had the wherewithal to pick up a toy out of his own cognizance and say, this is what I like, Colin has loved Elsa. So when Frozen 2 came out, you can imagine that Colin was freaking pumped and he wanted to go to the movie theater dressed as Elsa. Well, as Scott will tell you in this interview, he had people, even his own mother, chiming in on how boys shouldn't play with dolls, let alone dress up as Princess Elsa and parade into a movie theater. What Scott did instead of listening to the naysayers is why I asked him to be featured on our Father's Day special. Scott got online, this stereotypical man's man from Australia with all the cultural conditioning of a guy's guy, and Scott ordered the biggest Elsa costume he could find, and off they went to the theater together. But there is so much here. This is so much more than a father and son dressed as Elsa going to the movie theater. I mean, There's so much to unpack about fatherhood and unconditional love, challenging fear and judgment, even when it comes from quote-unquote well-meaning family members, radical acceptance and the dangers of repressing who your child actually is from repressing your child's authentic self and the power and the joy that comes from just embracing that perfect little authentic soul just as they are. So there's so much here. And Scott is hands down, in my opinion, the epitome of an excellent father. And I believe that with his and his wife's intentional parenting, which we talk a lot about that, I think his son is going to grow up to be just the most confident, awesome person. So we can all learn a lot from this interview. And I thank Scott so much for joining me. So here is our conversation. First, I'll tell everybody... I found Scott through a video that went viral of Scott and his son, Colin, going to the movies. And they were going to see, was it Frozen 2? Yes. Frozen 2, which how many times have you seen it? At the cinema, we saw it the four or five times. And since it's come to Disney Plus, what, I don't know, eight times, ten times? Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure that you and I could recite the entire movie right now if we had to. Because I've done the same thing. But tell me about that video. Just tell me the story. Sure, yes. So, look, my son has been in love with Elsa since he was about three years old, Yeah, even before he even saw the first movie. He just completely fell in love with her. And this particular moment, you know, for weeks or maybe even months, you know, we knew Frozen 2 was coming out and he had been wanting to wear, you know, his Elsa dress to go see the movie. And this, like, in our family, it's not a big thing. You know, he uh, dresses up like Elsa all the time. You know, he absolutely loves it. But as we were getting closer to when the movie was coming out, he was starting to get a bit worried that people might laugh at him. He was just starting to get a bit, you know, a little bit older, a little bit more aware of those things. And yeah, he was starting to get really worried, really nervous. And 
you know, we just kind of had this conversation with him and with you know, each other, my wife and I, because you know, we're getting feedback from everywhere. You know, you shouldn't let him do it. You should let him do it. And you know, we basically decided that in a moment like that, you can either teach them to be themselves regardless of what other people might think, or you can teach them to, you know, change themselves, you know, to stop any potential harm from happening. And so we kind of went that first route and, uh, you know, to support him, we both dressed up like Elsa. You know, I got the biggest Elsa dress you can find on Amazon. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so we dressed up, we went there, we got massive support, you know, everybody from the people at the candy bar to, you know, other families just thought it was absolutely awesome. I don't think I've ever had so much, you know, non-consensual filming of myself for, you know, <laughs> anything. But, yeah, we just had an absolutely fantastic time and he absolutely loved it. What a freaking awesome dad you are. That is <laughs> so cool. And you say that people are coming at you from up, down and left and right with, oh, you shouldn't, or just coming in with opinions and judgments on how you should live your life and raise your children. And I feel like we all go through that to some level, but how do you deal with that? And how did you have the resolve to say, no, we're going to do it this way? You know, there's people who kind of come at you just with, hate, you know, and you know, that's wrong. And that's easy to deal with because, you know, we have already kind of sat down and figured out what we think is right. You know, so when somebody says something's wrong that you think is right, it's not really a big deal. But the worst stuff is, you know, from family and that where it's well-meaning, but it's just this worry, this fear that they have, you know, what if he gets bullied? What if people don't like him? What if he you know, gets hurt? And that fear just, you know, it's this insidious thing that goes into you and you start thinking about it. And you know, it's really hard to get past that fear. And when my son first wanted to wear a dress, he was dressing up like Elsa and I said, yes, that's fine. You know, all my cultural conditioning, you know, I was raised country Australia, which is, well, at the time was not a super accepting place, you know, and so we were walking down the street, you know, I was feeling uncomfortable. He was having the time of his life, you know. How old was he here? Oh, he would have been, yeah, probably three and a half, maybe four. I don't know. And uh, we were walking down the street and I was so overwhelmed with just discomfort. You know, walking down the street thinking that everybody was looking at us, thinking that everybody was judging me. And after a while, I just realized like, this is ridiculous. I'm actually not even thinking about him in this situation. I'm thinking about what people are thinking of me. And so it kind of came back to that whole, you know, how do I want him to grow up, you know, and one of our core things that we intentionally really want for him is that we want him to have a lot of confidence in himself. And so I basically had this, you know, moment where we had to decide, you know, which is more important than if that is, you know, one of the things that we're really focused on, does my comfort come before his confidence or is it the other way around? So, you know, that's something that we really had to figure out. And as soon as we figured that out, you know, it became easy to say, well, I'm just uncomfortable because of my massive cultural conditioning years. So that is completely fine. But yeah, when people are coming at you with, you know, that well-meaning worry, it can be really, really challenging. But 
my mum is the queen of well-meaning fear and worry. We have had massive, massive conversations about this subject and she was raised with massive fear in her life. She instilled massive fear onto you know, her sons, myself, my brother, and you know, I just didn't want that fear to be part of Colin's life. God, I love that. When I recognized that it wasn't actually fear for Colin, it was just this fear that was ingrained into her. You know, he doesn't need to carry that. I don't need to carry that. You know, it's her fear. So once we kind of separated it out like that, that it's actually her fear that we don't need to carry, then it was easy to separate. Yes, we had some uh, heated debates around the entire subject, you know, ultimately culminating in a a moment where I basically had to say to my mum, you know, you can either accept our parenting style and my son for who he is, or you can just not be part of his life. Uh, that all now is fine and she's totally accepting and you know, all those sorts of things. But um, that well-meaning worry is really, really tough to get past. But when you recognize that it comes from a place of their fear, not really concern, you know, it's easy to separate that. I think fear can mean a lot of things. Do you think that she was thinking fear in terms of people will bully him? Like what other people would think? Absolutely. You know, and growing up, I was the stereotypical like dude, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I was captain of the rugby team. I was like best sports person at the school. You know, I was one of the prefects. I don't know if that's a term over in the States here, um, <laughs> but you know, I was kind of doing everything right. And yet I still got bullied, you know, and you know, whether or not they will get bullied, I actually think is more reflective of other people rather than themselves, you know. So, you know, once you get past schooling, that high school bullying, you know, ends, you know, it, we're now in a world where like that's not acceptable anymore for the remaining 80 years of your life. So instilling fear for the first, you know, 15 to me seems really counterproductive. That is such a good point. And you also said that you, it's your mother, right? Yes. Yes. Are at a place where she is fully accepting. How did you get there? Because I feel like a lot of people in your situation are presented with similar issues. So how did you guys yeah. get there? To that point, you know, I get hundreds of messages from people talking about this exact situation that they have a parent or a parent of you know, their partner or someone who's just completely not accepting it. So yes, it took us getting to that moment where we had an ultimatum that was, you can either accept my son or not. And we are okay either way, you know, because at that point, my relationship with my son, my son's confidence, how he felt about himself was more important than having just this uncomfortable, not fun, aggressive meeting up with my mum. I mean, we weren't enjoying hanging out together at all, my mum and I, because there was just this undercurrent of tension all the time. So I was very willing to give that up. So it really did take coming to that head, you know, just to get past it. Now, for a little while after that, you know, we were very aware of 
if we needed my mum to babysit Colin, you know, we were very aware of, well, what if she says something like, Mm -hmm. you know, he wants to turn up in his Anna dress and, you know, she starts talking about how that's not for boys or he shouldn't be doing that or you shouldn't be confusing his sexuality, which is already such a weird thing to say for a six-year-old, you know. Exactly, Um, right. (laughs) I find it really, really weird. So, We were very aware of that. We spoke to Colin a lot and we just basically started gauging what my mum's responses and how she was talking to him over months. And after a while, we found that we could say within ourselves that she was like fully accepting of him. It took us probably longer to get there than it took her to get there after we had had that big moment. But I mean, I tell you what, that moment that we had was really challenging. My wife and I were separated at the time. We separated for a year before we got back together. And I was living with my mum at oh gosh. that same time. You know, so I had moved into my mum's place with Colin. You know, I had Colin four or five days a week and we were in there. So to still have that, it was really challenging. But ultimately, like it worked out exactly how he wanted. And funnily enough, you know, my dad, you know, he grew up on a however many hundreds of thousands acre sheep station. He's the ultimate country boy. <laughs> I remember he first came to the city here in Melbourne where I live and we were sitting on a tram and there was a man with an earring and he was like poking me going, Scott, check out this guy, you know. With an earring. Oh, if you knew what's happened, Dad. (laughs) Oh, he just, you know, it was so foreign to him. And yet from day one, I remember we went up to visit him because he lives in another state. We flew up to visit him and Colin wanted to wear his Elsa dress. And again, he thought he was great. I was going, oh my gosh, this is just going to set off this chain of judgment and everything that is just going to be so hard to rein in. He walked into the room and my dad just goes, hey, nice dress. And that's all he's ever said about it. You know, <laughs> so he was completely fine you know. So sometimes you know, all that uh, discomfort is completely misplaced. I love that it is the adult's in the situation that have an issue with, isn't that telling, right? That your son oh, yeah. can put on this dress. He's just being authentically himself. He's living from his heart and he's just fine. And it's the adult who's like been conditioned with all this bullshit to be worried. It just kind of shows how pure kids are, right? Yeah. Well, funnily enough, you at his birthday party, he had an Elsa slash pirate themed birthday party. Cause that my daughter wants a Scooby-Doo slash pink. And I'm like, I don't know what that Amazing. means, but yeah. <laughs> try. <laughs> and so he, he was going as Elsa. And then at the last minute he decided to change and wanted to go as a witch, you know? And so he went as this witch in his big witch dress with his wand and his broom and all that sort of stuff. And we had, again, other parents, you know, saying, Oh, aren't you, afraid of what the other kids are going to say, but all the other kids were just saying, oh, cool dress, you know, and then just went and played, you know, they're not even at the age where that is a thought, you know, so. How old was he at this time? That was when he was five. I was imagining myself in your situation and my only concern because I was bullied horribly would be somebody bullying my kid because then my hackles would go up and I would get all mama bear on you. It would probably hurt me 10 times more than it would hurt my kid. But to see that 
kids at that age don't even really think twice about it. It's like, I know. Yeah. Well, we have definitely seen a difference from when he was in what's called prep here, which is the year before grade one. So there, every kid was just like, yeah, whatever, you know, and grade one, it seems to be when some gender roles really start getting affirmed. That's what I was was wondering. Yeah. So he has this, of course, Elsa water bottle and he took it to school and probably, I don't know, two months into grade one, you know, he came home and he didn't want to bring that water bottle to school anymore. And there was something about how he was saying it, like, no, I just don't want to. You know, like, as a parent, we're like, there's something way more to this. You totally. Know? It took us a couple of days, but it basically turned out like his best friend was saying, oh, you know, that's just for girls. You know, why do you have that? And like, once we had actually figured that out, then it was kind of easy for us to address you know, we basically had those conversations and this is an ongoing conversation in our household about who are you you know, what do you love that's more important than what other people are thinking and this is you know something that we reinforce all the time not just about Elsa and dresses you know about everything you know you're following yourself and your own thoughts and so once we could address that then the next day he wanted to take the Elsa bottle again, you know? So I know that he has had another kid say something, but now he's just kind of like, yeah, well, I'd like it, you know? So, um, I you love know, so him. we all knew that kid at school who was doing the thing that everybody else was getting bullied for, but he was just so sure of themselves that nobody cared. Like that's basically where we hope Colin is going here. Yeah where I hope every kid is going. I know. Absolutely. I'm all about empowering kids to kind of find and accept themselves. I really believe 95% of it comes from parents. Like it would have been so easy for me to say, you know, this is making me uncomfortable. You know, no, you shouldn't do that. But then we would have missed out on all this joy and all this discovery of him that we would have just repressed within him. And it's pretty easy to see what repressing yourself leads to in this day and age. So that's a good point by letting him just be himself. You and your wife were able to capture so much joy just in letting him live and not living through fear. Yeah. Everything from last night, or was it like, it might've been the night before he wanted to do a little fashion show, you know? And so we set up this whole like extravagant catwalk with disco lights. You are the best parents ever. (laughs) Thank you. But you know, it's easy to say you're a great parent, you know, when you're only seeing this fun stuff. It's true. But yeah, so we just had the greatest night ever and you know, that would have been completely lost. And yes, it probably would have been replaced with something else, you know, but just so much joy. Like some of our absolute best times as a family have been really when we're leaning into who Colin is and we've just had so much joy come from it. I love it. And tell me about your book. 
So I have a uh, children's book coming out. It's called My Shadow is Pink. And it's about a young boy who's born with a pink shadow you know, and loves princesses, fairies, and things traditionally not for boys. And he's born into a family where everybody has blue shadows. You know, they're very you know, masculine. And you know, it's this book of discovery and learning how to love yourself, be true to yourself. And it's both a journey of, acceptance for the child and the father. They're the really two characters in there. You know, it's the father who feels uncomfortable from the boy wearing a dress and dancing around and the boy overcoming that and overcoming the fear together. And I wrote this book. So my son, the very first time he ever experienced the things he loved were actually for girls was he was, I'm going to say four years old, and he came home from childcare, like daycare, and somebody had said to him, because he had this Elsa doll that he absolutely loved, and he was so proud of this thing. He would walk around just randomly people in the street to show them his Elsa doll. He thought it was just the greatest thing of all time. You know? and so precious. So he came home and he was completely distraught because somebody, and I'm certain that it was one of the educators rather than one of the kids, had said that, oh, that was actually for girls. You know, why did you like that? And he was completely distraught because in his mind, you know, he's like, I'm a boy, but I love this, but I'm not allowed to love this, but I do love it. And why can't I love it? You know? So he was completely distraught. So that night I really tried to find some media, some books or something that featured a boy who was just in love with things traditionally not for boys. And at the time I couldn't find anything. So I had already written a couple of kids books. And so I just sat down and I wrote the first draft of it that night. So now what, three and a half years later, you know, it's finally hitting shelves in two months. So it's been a journey getting them. <laughs> uh, it's so awesome. It's really, really cool. And what Thank do you, you see as a whole? I think as a society, we have well, I'm in the States, but we have a lot yep. to do in terms of... Well, my wife is from the States. We actually had the big debate of whether we would live there or here when Colin was born. You left yeah. us, I see. You left us probably for the best because we've been in quarantine for like... Well, you know, we, we made the decision and ever since then, with every passing year, we're kind of saying, oh, I'm pretty glad we made that decision, but it really came down to, uh, you know, because we had the option of living there or here, you know, right. I'm in Australia and it was right around the time of, I'm not sure if it was at the time of that, or it was just in our mind, but Sandy Hook had happened and we were talking and we, I said, I just don't know if I want to ever think about the possibility of a school shooting and we don't have that possibility here. You know, we don't think about that you know, at all. Like we banned guns 25 years ago, maybe 30 years ago. And so yeah, that was the impetus for us coming here. I don't blame you. I don't yeah. blame you. I might be your neighbor soon with how things are going. Yes. But as a whole, like you guys are ahead of us, but I think that we need a push both a social push and a legislative push to just be more accepting overall. And you mentioned a good point, like to bring up the sexuality of a six-year-old, I think is creepy and weird. And I'm sure people yeah. have said that to you. Well, what if this, what if that? Well, he's yeah. a kid and I'll take it day by day. Whoever he loves when he's older, I imagine that's how you handle that also. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think needs to happen overall to break down these gender stereotypes and be more accepting? 
quite a few things, <laughs> to be honest. That's how I yeah. feel. When I start to think about it, I just get very overwhelmed and I'm like, I don't even know where to begin. So yeah. I if we look at young girls, you know, there's been massive progress, not enough progress, but there's been massive progress in the way we're raising our daughters. You know, we're trying to empower them. And I think part of that empowerment has been basically saying the things that traditionally were for boys are now accessible and open for you. I personally think we've also gone to demonizing a young girl likes pink and princesses and things like that. We've almost flipped to the side where, well, no, that's not good, you know, because we should be empowering them. And I actually think, you know, there are plenty of young girls who just love pink. That's fine. That's such a good point. That is such a good point because my daughter is just drawn to her stereotypes, the princesses and things. And people have said to me, well, don't tell her she's pretty. Well, don't let her do this. And I'm like, well, she is pretty. So I'm going to tell her she's pretty because I want her to be confident. And second of all, just let them be them. Don't push them either way, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. I think the biggest shift, and with every generation, you know, every generation gets a little bit more accepting. You know, we're moving into the most accepting and tolerant generation of all time. And hopefully, like my vision is that by the time that my son is 20, in 14 years, that will be a time where if a person was gay, there's not even a thought of coming out because, you know, what do they need to come out to? Everybody's so accepting of it. But in terms of the change that Antiet made, look, I think... It really does come down to parents and the older generations. And part of that is, I'm going to go to an example again with my mum. When the Me Too movement was really in full swing, what was that? Maybe three years ago, something like that? It's about Uh, already, yeah. Yeah, so when that was happening, my mum was deeply uncomfortable with it. She was basically saying, we put up with all of you know, the harassment, like, why can't these people just accept it? And like myself, you, know, you, we've all grown up with a certain set of cultural rules that basically like defined how we lived our lives. You know, my mum grew up with the cultural rules that men can sexually harass you in a workplace. And you know, Isn't that, that wild? Means, That's true. Yeah, and for her, that means that, you know, she was looking really good that day, you know, and she's even said to me, you know, if they didn't whistle at me or try to grab me, it just meant that I wasn't looking that great that day. And I'm like, no, that means that. It sounds wild, but I can problem. relate with people. close. I know what you're saying. Yeah. So they've grown up with those rules, you know, and now when Me Too movement happened, that challenged my mum because suddenly the rules that she grew up with, it's saying to her that she could have lived without those rules too, which challenges her entire ecosystem. It means that, you know, she could have actually had a happier life and no, my life turned out fine. So you should live within those rules too. So that's one of the biggest things, you know, it's accepting that these rules change. I got this really interesting message from somebody and they were saying to me that when they're reading a children's book to their daughter, this is something I do all the time, but they would change the words. You know how every princess book basically says there once was a beautiful princess. I don't like that. I'm just like, can we at least just describe them as something relevant to the story? Even if it's there once was a princess who was allergic to shellfish. Something (laughs) something that is relevant to the story, not just like what they look like. And this mum kind of wrote to me and said, I do this all the time, 
But when I do that, my husband just gets so angry and says, why do we have to make everything so political? And she's like, I'm not making it political. I'm just trying to empower your daughters. And if you were to ask that dad any time, any day of the week, he would say, yes, I want my daughters to be empowered. But in the moment of actually empowering them, it throws up this discomfort into his life and he doesn't know where this discomfort comes from. He doesn't know that it's all this cultural conditioning. He doesn't know that he has been raised that, you know, no, let's just focus on the beauty, you know. He doesn't want to dive into that. So he just gets angry, you know, and says, why do we have to make this so political? And so I think for parents, I would always say that when something makes you uncomfortable, like there is no right or wrong. My son loves to wear dresses. There are people who say that's right. There are people who say that's wrong. So there is no objective right or wrong. There's only cultural conditioning and what feels true to yourself and to your family. So this feels true to us and our family. So we're fine with that. But when something makes you uncomfortable, there's that question of, well, why does this actually make me uncomfortable? Is it because I don't agree with this idea, which is fine. We don't all have to think the same things, you know, and if that's what it is, okay, but why don't you agree with it? Is it because, you know, you were just grown up, you were just brought up with this idea? I still remember I work at a children's hospital and I was walking past the gift shop and this mum was standing there asking if they had any balloons for boys. And the attendant was holding up this, you know, the Avengers, like this Avengers balloon and said, yeah, this one's pretty boyish. I mean, you know, it's blue, it's got Hulk and Thor and Captain America and like it's about as boy as we've got, you know, and she said, oh, well, no, I think that one's for girls because it's got that one girl in the corner on it. God. (laughs) And, And the attendant was just looking at her like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't have anything more boy than this Avengers balloon. (laughs) And so, you know, I think a lot of it is just recognising that these biases happen and they exist and it's really uncomfortable for most people to, I mean, we're seeing right now with Black Lives Matter, it's, you know, people are really uncomfortable having bias called out. And so there's a lot of work to do, but it's about seeing particularly media, it's allowing kids to see themselves. You know, there still is not a Pixar film where a boy is wearing a dress. Why is that? You know, we're getting there, there right? Yeah, there, I there hope. Is, well, you know, I'm pitching a movie, but you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> Whoever's you know, listening, we have, yeah, yeah we have the storyline. Yeah. And so the media is so important. I mean, we see that from particularly over in the States, you know, young African-American kids first seeing themselves in Franklin, the first black character in a cartoon in Snoopy or Peanuts or whatever it's called back in the 60s. Like that meant so much to so many kids. And it suddenly opened up a world of opportunity. Well, if that person can be featured in the newspaper, like I can be too, you know, what could I do? Because the biggest struggle with kids is if they never see themselves, you know, they start thinking that they're the one in the wrong, you know, oh, there's no other boys who wear dresses. Oh, well, 
I must be wrong. It's always about them. It always goes into shame rather than just, you know, oh, maybe there's just no other boys who wear dresses. Like, who cares? It's something's wrong with them. And so to see actual diversity, not just token diversity, like actual diversity in media and TV shows. I mean, kids' TV shows are wild in terms of lack of diversity and lack of empowerment. I mean, you pick up one out of a hundred shows is actually like positive for kids you know, in terms of like diversity and stuff. I mean, the, some of the studies around it being crazy. I mean, you watch nine minutes of SpongeBob, your child becomes more ADHD, their behavior becomes more ADHD. So true. You know, it's wild. You know? And so there's this responsibility that media companies have, your publishers have that I don't believe is being fully recognize because we should be trying to figure out how we can make it as diverse as possible. It's difficult. It really is. I'm illustrating a children's book right now about manhood and I'm illustrating this page where I have like 20 different men on it and trying to make sure that it is extremely diverse, but also going, well, what races and physical abilities have I represented and what have I represented badly? You know, have I put only a certain race as people doing a certain thing, you know, that some people might, it's difficult, you know, but it's really worth it because kids see that they see themselves and then they can actually accept themselves. And when they accept themselves, I mean, can you imagine a whole generation actually accepting themselves? Like the incredible, not just like joy in the world, but progress, you know, what happened when women were actually allowed to become scientists and stuff? Wow. We actually got better at science who would have thought you know, <laughs> like, right? you know why is this when, so hard for some people to understand I know when people actually follow the things that feel true to them society as a whole just gets better you know so I think media has a massive role I think parents have a huge huge role especially in recognizing their own discomforts and intentionally parenting I mean my wife and I we make a lot of mistakes. You know, we are not perfect parents and I don't think there is a perfect parent. But the one advantage that we have is we sat down and intentionally figured out how do we want our son to live in this world? You know, what are the things that we want him to feel? What are the things that we, you know, and just core values. Do we want him to be grateful? Do we want him to be a little a-hole, you know, like we sat down, we figured out like, what are the things that are really, really important to us? And some of those things for us was gratitude, kindness. It was being true to yourself. And then once we actually knew, okay, here's the five things that we are really clear that this is how we want him to grow up. Then we can just bring in like daily practices that enforce those things. You're we want him to be grateful. So every night at dinner, we talk about things that have made us grateful that day, you know, things we're grateful for. We want him to be true to himself. So anytime there's a situation where he wants to do something, but he's afraid of what other people will think, we navigate that situation based on, we want him to grow up being true to himself rather than we want him to grow up 
fitting in. Like when we actually have intention around how we want our kids to grow up, it becomes really easy to kind of navigate those situations. Legislation, who knows if it's actually effective in you know, um, our point. kids. Yeah. I saw just what yesterday or the day before, you know, Supreme Court in the US finally protected yeah. LGBT as a class, which is blows my mind. It's 2020 and this you know, is still needing to happen. So there is you know, legislation that needs to change, but it's really just attitude. I mean, there are people who will never change. We all know that. But we can bring up a generation completely differently. We can bring up a generation that doesn't have all the fears that we grew up with, a generation that not only accepts themselves, but accepts everyone else. And instead of spending all their energy and time worrying about what that other person is doing and how that is not affecting their life. Instead, they're focused on how they can help that other person and how they can be more true to themselves. So I think kids is where we really need to see a lot of change and gender stuff. I mean, so I used to work as a toy designer and it is wildly gendered now. You know, a lot of people talk about how it's an interesting conversation, but they talk about how you know, toys have always been this gendered. It's not true. You know, they are more gendered now than they ever have been. You walk into the toy aisle and the pink shelf and the blue shelf didn't used to exist like that, you know, but you know, over the last 50 years, they've recognized that they can make more sales that way, but not really thinking about the repercussions in terms of our kids, you know, so de-gendering some toys, there are some brilliant toys that are de-gendered and some toys, why are they even gendered in the first place? You know, it's like like we were driving through McDonald's, don't judge us. And we're getting a happy meal. I was there yesterday, don't worry about it. (laughs) We were getting a happy meal and the person said, do you want a boy's toy or a girl's toy? And we said, oh, what's the boy's toy? And they said, oh, it was this little thing that you push a button and it fights, you know? And I said, well, what's the girl's toy? And they said, oh, it's like a mirror and a comb. And oh, I was Lord. like, are you serious? Right. Like, it's 2020. And yeah. so, you know, Colin asked for the mirror and comb, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, you know, just awareness that it's just kids playing with something. Who cares what it is? But there are also times where this is actually making a difference in how they look at themselves, how they view themselves and how they view the world around them. And if we can think through that lens more often than just it's just kids, it's just playing, whatever, I think then we can make a lot of progress. God, you're good. You're good. (laughs) You might say you're not the perfect parent, but let me tell you, you and your wife, you said you parent intentionally, right? And so many of us, I feel like we're on autopilot. Do do we really take the time to sit and think what kind of values do we want to instill in our kids and are our actions, you know, aligned with those values? It sounds simple, but it's something I don't think many people do. So he is very lucky to have you guys. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. I mean, we have done that in our relationship. Well, even from when Colin was first born, you know, we kind of sat down and decided we actually had the conversation around, you know, who was better with less sleep? And it was me. And so, you know, not during the first few months while he was still breastfeeding and those sorts of things, you know, but after that, I basically ran 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift. And I think um, I need to have this conversation with my husband <laughs> because he too is better with less sleep, but I still keep getting up. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's like we really strive for 
equal balance in our household. We don't hit it, but at least we strive Nobody for it. Nobody does, um, but you strive yeah, for um, it. That's what matters. I mean, yeah, particularly now. I mean, right now, my wife is not working, you know, through her entire industry was decimated through COVID. And so she's not working. And so it's very easy to drift back into the, well, you're working and earning money, you know, and you're not. So now we have these established roles and expectations, but we've kind of always been on the train of, yes, money is valuable, but like literally almost every man gets to the end of their life and says, I wish I had more quality time with my family. Like that's how important the money side is. Like it's actually not that important. So like we recognize that my wife's work is just as important to the family as my work, which is currently the the financial source, but even I want, I was just going to say, I want to shout that from the rooftops, but I guess that's what I'm doing by releasing this podcast. Even recognizing that we still fall into that trap, you know, probably our biggest things that we have with each other are you, know, those expectations, you know, where I'll be working and I say, oh, I just don't have time to do the dishes and Mel's, pissed and she's like I've been cleaning for eight hours you know? <laughs> and, you know and so even being aware of it like there's still work to do but at least we try yeah. this is so much more than a young boy who's just being himself and wants to wear an Elsa dress like it goes layers and layers and there's just <laughs> so much to learn I am so appreciative and I thank you for rescheduling this two three times while I tried to find someone to watch my dang kids so I could do this <laughs> Thank you so much. Where can everybody find you and find the book when it comes out? If they just go to myshadowispink.com, it kind of has everywhere you can get it. It's got me on social. That's probably the best place to go, yeah. And how does Colin feel about being famous now? <laughs> uh, he is completely indifferent. You know, <laughs> Kids he, rock. I know. They're the best grounding thing ever, you know. So I I was on like the Today Show last week and, you know, my wife was in the bedroom with Colin watching it live and he was like, meh, yeah. <laughs> I watched this interview with Bon Jovi. And the interviewer said, what do you kids think? Like, they've got Bon Jovi as a dad. You, They must just think it's the coolest thing ever. And he's like, no. But I saw that too. I saw that too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's too funny. Yeah. Oh, so, my yeah, gosh. He does not care at all. But, you know, he loves having a book based on him. He thinks that's the coolest thing ever. But, yeah, in terms of fame, it's just not on his radar. 